0: Good morning everyone. <clears throat> this chilly Texas day, it's more like a chilly Michigan day. Wow. All right. Well, I I pray your your hearts would be warmed this morning with the word of God and uh all that the Lord has in store for us this morning. Let's uh let's pray. Father, we come before you and so grateful, Lord, for your kindness towards us, Lord, knowing that even in this frigid cold, Lord, that you are our God, that you warm our hearts with your presence, and Lord, that is our desire this morning, that is our desire here in this Bible study, that is our desire even in the main service and, and what you have in store for us this this morning in the ordination, Lord, we desire your presence. We want more of you in all that we're about, Lord. Come meet with us even now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning the Lord has put it on my heart to do a Bible study on the spiritual discipline of fasting. Providentially, we are at the beginning of a new year. And so this could be something fresh, it could be something encouraging. This can be something uh, uplifting for each one of you. Also, I am in the transitional period of finishing up the book of Ruth and praying about what the Lord would have as the next book for our Bible study series. So please join me in praying for that. All right, fasting. What comes to mind when I say fasting? And you all can respond. Sanctification. All right. Anybody else? Prayer. Not eating. All right. yeah, good. You know, without any descriptor uh, meaning we're not, we're not going to describe what kind of fasting it is, or v- there are various kinds of fasting that are happening all around us, isn't there? All around the world, there are many different types. Of fasting. People fast for many different reasons or causes. On the upswing is uh, what is called intermittent fasting that is used to help with weight loss or it's known to have some health benefits to it uh, and protect against some diseases and conditions. But that's just one branch on the tree or the trunk of fasting. There are others who fast in order to buffet their body. They, they, they train, they, they try to stay in shape to, to be more fit. They are more strategic as to what they put in and when they eat and what they eat, right? Others fast in, involuntarily because of famine, because of poverty. They, they can't afford it. Third world countries, they, they fast because of that. And still, yet, yeah, people fast as an act of protest, as a as a political pre- a protest uh, to provoke or or cause a, a feeling of guilt in, in the offender or in the guilty party, only to get their desired result. Uh, you can look up. There's been various hunger strikes throughout uh, history that has taken place in that very realm, in that very cause. Not to mention the numerous religious fasts that take place, many religious fasts, the Jews fast, the Hindus fast, the Muslims fast, the Christians fast, and so on and so on. But for this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the Christian fast, the Christian fast. Fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that is probably the most neglected in our Christian life. Donald Whitney, who wrote a book on spiritual discipline, says fasting is the most feared and misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. He continues, in most Christian circles, you will rarely hear fasting mentioned, and few will have read anything about it. Although it is a vast topic, even when we narrow it down to Christian fasting, my hope this morning is that you will be encouraged in your faith and that you won't see fasting as drudgery or difficult or meaningless or impossible. Rather, for you to leave this morning seeing this discipline as a gift from God for a great purpose and help in your spiritual walk in this world because I can guarantee you, Scripture promises it, in heaven we will not be fasting. All right, Christian fasting. Also know this, it's not for the super spiritual. Fasting is for the one who is a a child of God, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is true fasting with eternal value. Not the other empty religious fasts uh, happening around the world. This fast... The Christian fast, there is no other fast that will draw you near to the living God as the kind of fasting that the scriptures speak of. So before we take a deep dive, I want to mention that even preparing for this study, I have gained more insight myself about fasting that has encouraged me in the discipline. Uh, The Lord has opened my eyes to new ways to view and conduct my fasting I want to mention I was, I was deeply helped by uh, John Piper's book, um, and, and I've read it in the past bits and pieces, but I've read it now in its entirety and leading up to this and on fasting entitled A Hunger for God. Great book, must read. Another good resource is the book I mentioned by Donald Whitney, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And lastly, I know he doesn't want me to say anything, but I would be remiss not to mention that our own dear brother, Michael Durham, who um, just listening to his past sermons on the topic of fasting helped me tremendously. So much of what you will hear this morning is what I've gleaned, um, not only from these men, but what the Lord has opened my eyes to see clearly in his word. So the text for this morning uh, is Matthew 9. Chapter 14 through 17. Matthew chapter 9, 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved." Amen. You know, in this text, we'll find the three main areas, though in skeletal form, of what I want to, for us to see this morning um, as it pertains to fasting. One, an argument for fasting. Two, how not to fast, what fasting is not. Three, how to fast. What are we fasting for? So before I even begin there, what is fasting? Fasting. What is fasting? In its most basic understanding, as it would be defined in a dictionary for us, fasting means to abstain from all kinds of or some kinds of food or drink. I want to expand on that and build on that definition as it applies to us with just a couple one-liners to bring forth. Um, fasting is not limited to only abstaining from food or drink. It can be abstaining from anything that has our attention, our appetite, our hunger. Fasting is for a period of time and is voluntary. Fasting is for believers, and fasting is for spiritual purposes. I want to read what Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about fasting as as a definition. He says, fasting means an abstinence from food, for the sake of certain special purposes such as prayer or meditation or the seeking of God for some peculiar reason or under some exceptional circumstance. Martin Joids would continue to say on his sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6, he will say that abstaining from food is not the only kind of fasting to be done as a Christian fast. Piper defines fasting like this. Very simply put, it is a putting aside of one hunger for the hunger of God. Putting aside of one hunger for the hunger of God. I think those definitions sum it up well. So I want to move on to making an argument for fasting. Now I don't know if anybody in this place actually or any of you or any of those listening actually um, believe that fasting is not a, um, a requirement or a, a spiritual discipline to be practiced there are those that in the christian world in the in in the camp that believe that very thing so i want to briefly bring to you an argument for fasting from scripture there are mentions of it throughout the bible but only once is it ever commanded within scripture it's in the old testament it's on the day of atonement when the lord had told the people of israel it's for specific people it's for a specific time for them to come forth and prepare themselves to meet with the Lord. And so that was once a year on that great day. Besides that, it is never commanded anywhere else in the Old Testament nor the New Testament. However, we see it practiced on, on numerous occasions uh, throughout the Old Testament where individuals, we see, we see them in their, in their personal, their private, we see um, Nations, we see groups uh, fasting. In the New Testament, though, we have even less examples than that. Uh, We have uh, Anna, who was fasting and praying for the coming of the Messiah in the temple. And then we also have uh, Jesus, who fasted 40 days and, and nights there in the wilderness. We have the, before he began his ministry. We also have in the book of Acts, as the, the, the leaders have fasted for um, others to, to rise up and be sent out uh, in the mission field. And then we also have Paul, who fasted right after his conversion. Um, so we have uh, those specific mentions, but what's interesting is we don't have fasting anywhere in the pastoral epistles it's, it's silent on that topic. As a matter of fact, that word, if you look it up in the, in the Greek, the nusteo, it's, it's nowhere to be found outside of the Gospels and Acts. So it can actually be argued that there is more mention about how to be aware and stay away from those who are uh, advocating abstaining from food. And, and for us to not submit ourselves to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? For, we have First Timothy and Colossians uh, as a reference there. So the question then becomes, are we to fast or not? Are we to fast or not? You know, besides the fact that Jesus and the disciples fasted, I, I do think the strongest argument for fasting is found in the Gospels, from the lips of our dear savior although it's not a command there is a strong implication and so there in Matthew chapter 9 verse 15 the text that we just read at the end Jesus makes of that verse Jesus makes the statement that he says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them comma and then they will fast and then they will fast not then they may fast but then they will fast it is implied that fasting will take place in another location there in the middle of the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 6 verse Uh, 17, Jesus, who, remember, is talking about spiritual disciplines. He's talking about personal righteousness in the spiritual life of a believer. And he says, but you, when you fast, he says there in chapter 6. Again, it isn't a suggestion or an option. He isn't saying, if you fast, rather, when you fast. And not only that, but we must see contextually something here. That this formula of a statement, when you fast, is very similar to what Jesus said about other spiritual disciplines such as giving and praying in the very same text. Chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, when you give. Chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, and when you pray. Fasting is important. We can see that. And it falls in line with these other spiritual disciplines, it's important and expected by Christ himself. But it is indeed encouraging to me to see that the Lord is for fasting. And know this, saints, that if he is he's for fasting, for it, then he is also going to be in it. He's going to supply. He's going to help in the fasting. All right, moving on. Let's, let's survey the second point here. How not to fast. What fasting is not. If we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we have a summary statement there that Jesus is working from. When he brings forth how one is not to practice his or her righteousness, namely, these spiritual disciplines, fasting being one of them. He says this He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. To be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. There's an important note to make right away. After each section, meaning after he mentions the sections of giving, of praying, and of of fasting, he makes a statement. They're almost uh, formulaic in, in a sense. He makes a statement there of how the hypocrites practice their righteousness. And how we are not to be like them. And and that's followed by uh, this statement that he makes. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. So we can rightly conclude there is a reward from men that, that those who give, those who pray, those who fast receive from men. Their reward is full. That's what they wanted. That's what they're getting. But then there's also a reward from God. A reward from God, from our Father who is in heaven. And as it pertains to fasting, there in in verse 16, he says, Whenever you fast, he says in a a negative command, Don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Hypocrites fasted in order to be seen, to be noticed by men. They were walking around with a gloomy face, sad, no sense of joy. Rather, they made fasting look like a burden. It was like they were walking with a dark cloud following them everywhere they went. They neglect their appearance. That's a little strange in the end. They neglect their appearance. It really just means that they would discolor their faces with marks on their faces, like with makeup. Or some kind of darker mark. And they would make themselves look disorderly. Maybe uh, their hair all messed up and, and their dress maybe torn or whatever. You knew when they were fasting. Let me put it that way. You knew it without a doubt. That guy there is fasting. They were fasting for the purpose of being noticed by men. It was really a way to feed their pride and self-righteousness and to cover up the reality of the filth that was in their own hearts. So when we fast, when you and I fast, we are not to look miserable or discouraged or downcast. I mean, don't, don't talk about how hungry you are when you fast. Don't set your mind on And when your fast will be over and and what you will eat. What are you going to have when you're done fasting? Oh, don't do that. You've missed the purpose. And and don't be entertained by other things that make you forget the fact that you are even fasting. It's not the point of fasting. Another example that that we find in Scripture tells us uh, as to showing us, telling us how not to fast, is found in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector there in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 17. And as a side note, interestingly enough, it dawned on me that as Jesus is telling this parable, all these, these three spiritual disciplines that he mentions there and that we're discussing this morning, right, the the giving, the praying, and the fasting, He mentions in the parable itself. We see the Pharisee, he's entering into the temple to pray. And one of the many claims he makes to God is that he fasts twice a week and pays tithes uh, of all that he gets. So he prays, he fasts, and he gives. He does those things. He's, He's got the spiritual disciplines down. He's got it figured out. You know, this reference to fasting twice a week was not something that was prescribed. It was actually a tradition of men. To fast twice a week. And I, I read in the in the book by John Piper, a Hunger for God, that John Wesley actually required that anybody who would join the ministry would have to have been practicing this twice a week fasting. Anyway, it was a tradition of men that they themselves set up. Listen, if it would have been kept in a proper manner, then it would have been acceptable before the Lord the two days a week. There's nothing wrong with fasting two days a week, but they fasted so that everybody knows they they fast two times a week. This Pharisee, he viewed himself as superior above everyone else in his piety, viewing others with contempt. And we see in this prayer that he came before God with a false confidence that he had earned favor with God by what he did and who he was. It is this form of fasting that many in our day follow, some knowingly, some ignorantly. They think they can earn favor with God, or at the very least, that if they fast, then they will get the desired results or benefits. Along with the notion that fasting is for the spiritual among us, I fast because. I'm spiritual. I know how to fast, and I know that God hears me when I fast because I'm spiritual. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Fasting is not an end in itself. We cannot fast in a mechanical manner or with a mechanical view, like a penny in the slot, he says. You put the penny in, and out comes your reward. You can't fast that way. It doesn't work that way, he says. You know, both these references share much on how not to fast. But even the Old Testament can shed some light here. And I want to quickly go through this because this, this could take some time if I, if I bog down a little bit. So I am, I am moving quickly here. So bear with me. As is found in, in Isaiah chapter 58, we find the majority of the chapter uh, that verses 1 through 12 there are speaking on uh, fasting in the Old Testament. And I want to quickly summarize for you this point because we, we, um, we have a lot of more ground to cover. And I really want to get to my third point of why we should fast. And the desire in the heart of a, of a preacher or a teacher, right? They want to get to their point as fast as they can. But th- this, this is very important here. The people that are described in verses 2 and 3, uh, um, they're ones that have been outwardly conducting themselves. Much like the Pharisees, an outward appearance without the inward reality. And we're, we're told that they are actually ones who seek God. Uh, that they delight in God's ways. That they even desire for God to make just decisions. Uh, they delight in the nearness of God. Uh, and, and they're fasting and they're afflicting themselves. It's, it's even a form of asceticism. Uh, but their cry to the Lord is this. We have done all these things and... You have not taken notice. Why not, God? Why are you not noticing our fasting? The Lord's reply is insightful and helpful as it pertains to our topic of fasting, and more specifically on this point of how not to fast. You see, the Lord sees the heart, doesn't he? He knows all things. We can think that we're fasting out of uh, out of external, uh, I want to say external, um, just uh, show or 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 reasons, but he knows our heart. He made our heart. <laughs> he made us, and he knew. He knows us, and he knows that their fasting was for their own pleasure. He says that it, it was a it was a their own for their own desire. Their their pleasure was in driving hard the workers. Driving hard the workers. They fasted with contention, it says. They were getting into arguments and causing strife. They even got into fights. In other words, their, their fasting was self-centered, not God-centered. It was for their own desire. It, it somehow, they thought that with their fasting, they had some kind of superiority or or some kind of um, authority over these people and over others. Um, they, were, they were demeaning. They were talking down, they were arguing, they were creating strife. In other words, their, their fasting was unacceptable. It was, it was meaningless. It was sinful in the eyes of God. And we'll get to this later when we cover what fasting is. But one aspect of fasting is, and really any spiritual discipline for that um, matter, it's, it's to be considered as worship to God. Spiritual discipline is a worship. Fasting is worship. And we're to see it as that. So when you fast, you worship. But when you fast for the wrong reason, your worship is what? It's hypocrisy. It's sinful. Let me quote John Piper here. He says, no worship, no preaching, no singing, no praying, no fasting. However, intense or beautiful, that leaves us with harsh that leaves us harsh with our workers on Monday or contentious with our spouses at home or self-indulgent in the other areas of our lives or angry enough to hit somebody is true God-pleasing worship. In other words, we need to be careful that our worship, our fasting, doesn't become the garment that covers our dirty heart that somehow soothes our, our conscience. That's not the right kind of fasting. All right, like I said, I am moving fast in this topic of fasting, no pun intended. But I want to move to this third topic here, and that is how to fast. What are we fasting for? Because I think if we if we learn from the scriptures how to fast and, and why we fast, our perspective in this area will change, and it's going to result in proper and acceptable worship to our Lord. For this portion, I want to... I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17. And just before our text in Matthew chapter 9, 14 through 17, we have the account of Matthew being called by Jesus to be his disciple. Without any hesitation, because the call was effectual, he gets up from his booth and he follows after Christ. He goes after him. He leaves everything and he goes after Christ. And so we're told in the verses that follow that Jesus was reclining at the table in Matthew's house. Now take note what he was doing there. He was eating. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. So he was eating there and he was eating with his disciples. And so here comes question number one. And the question number one comes from the Pharisees. And the Pharisees ask Jesus, his disciples, why is he, meaning, why is Jesus, eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he doing that? The response of Jesus we know, and it's a beautiful response. He says, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. He says, Go, but go and learn what it means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the response of the great physician. And, and how he responds is, is remarkable. But moving on to our text, we find the second question there in verse 14. The second question in verse 14, now don't forget what Jesus is actually doing there, he's eating. And he's eating with tax collectors as sinners. I know I'm repeating that, but it's a big deal. A a, a teacher at that time didn't do those things. The Pharisees, it it was wrong. It was sinful. It was a stumbling block for them. They couldn't comprehend this. How could that man do that? And as a side note, that's how we should see it in our own lives and the cross of Christ. How can that man do that for me? That's that's what it's really about. I'm digressing. He was eating. And with who? Tax collectors and sinners. Now, we are told that it is now the disciples of John the Baptist who approached Jesus. So not the Pharisees, but the disciples of John the Baptist. And they approached Jesus with the second question. Why do we and the Pharisees fast and your disciples don't fast? Why? Now, it is important to note that the parallel account in the Gospel of Mark gives us some information there. Now, this account with fasting, by the way, and and included in there is also the two illustrations that we'll cover here shortly. But it's in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I was going to say John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in all three Gospels, we have this account. But the way the question is is posed in the three gospels, we we see something um, interesting there. But, like I said, Mark tells us something um, very insightful. It says that the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees were actually fasting at that time. So that sheds some light on it. There they are fasting, and there's Jesus eating. That's just not right. And the way the question is posed in the Gospels, it makes us us almost think, I understand it may be conjecture on my part, but that there was a spirit of contention, of pride, of uh, superiority there. Why do we fast and you and your disciples don't fast? I don't know if they were really honest in their inquiry, but... Whatever their intention, Jesus answers the question lovingly. He does. He comes back and he says a profound statement. He says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Wow, this, this answer by our Lord is packed with some glorious truth. The fact that he refers himself to as as the bridegroom speaks of his divinity. If you trace the bridegroom, the, the imagery, the language throughout the Old Testament, you'll begin to see that it is talking about God as the bridegroom and Israel and the church as his bride. And it's so we have here, even as a bridegroom rejoices over um, his bride, so so the Lord, so God will rejoice over you. Another thing we can deduce and is clearly confirmed for us in the Old Testament is that fasting was associated with mourning. It was associated with mourning, a grief over sin, and therefore a demonstration of repentance. There was also mourning over some difficult situation or trial, or simply a deep desire for a blessing, a delivery, uh, or a rescue that only can come from God. But this kind of fasting is not to be done, Jesus says, when the bridegroom is around. What Christ is making clear is this. The bridegroom has arrived. He is in your midst, he says. I am he. What a statement. And if they would connect the thoughts of what Christ is saying, they would have fallen down at his feet and worshipped him. They would have broken their fast and wept tears of joy because they are in the presence of glory, in the presence of majesty, in the presence of the Son of God. So to, the, to answer the question of the disciples of John uh, to Jesus, right, they asked, why don't your disciples fast? Because they can't fast. You can't fast when all you need in this life is right in front of you. You can't fast when you have the all-sufficient one next to you. You can't fast when all you have been longing for and hoping for Has arrived, has come, he's there, the bridegroom, the Messiah, the Savior. You don't fast. It's a time for celebration, it's a time to make a joyful noise. There was no fasting because God was there. I want you to hold on to that thought. It is important for our understanding of how and why we are fasting. Why do we fast? But Christ continues, he says there in the text, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. This is an indication that the bridegroom will not always be with his attendants. He's not always going to be. I want to make a quick observation or, or clarifying point here. Notice how it is the bridegroom and his attendants or the sons of the wedding place. And not the bridegroom and his bride. Also, notice how he describes his going away. It isn't a a long goodbye or going away because the wedding has finished. No, he says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, they will fast. This is referring to his departure from this world it implies his death his resurrection his ascension and where he is now ruling and reigning at the right hand of the father it is then that the disciples will fast it is then that we also shall fast and rightly so for he is not here on this earth not in the same way another thing also and that is that he is coming back for his bride It is what we long for. It is what we yearn for. It is what we hasten. And it is a reason why we fast. Listen, I'm not in any way minimizing that we have a great gift, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, our guide, without whom we wouldn't make it. He's he's the one through whom the the Lord Jesus Christ can rightly and did rightly say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But in that same vein, in the same passage, in the same chapter, same context, he says something as well. I go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. So there is more. There is more of Jesus to be had. There is a, a greater joy and, and nearness that awaits us in heaven. That's why Paul would say things such as this, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And then he also says, or to depart and be with Christ. Oh, that is very much better. Saints, this is why we fast, because we want to be with him we want to see him face to face we want to be in his presence in the presence of our dear savior the god man on the throne as piper said in this age there is an ache inside every christian that jesus is not here as fully and intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be we hunger for so much more that's why we fast But look with me at the remaining two verses in this section, verses 16 and 17. Jesus, as he so wonderfully does, brings two illustrations to help his listeners and us, the readers today here, understand more of what he is saying. What we can't overlook here is that these illustrations fall within the context of the topic of fasting. They have very much to do with fasting and Christ and his kingdom. They are found in all three Gospels, as I mentioned, found in this discussion with the disciples of John, and and they are relevant. Two illustrations, and they drive home the same point. The first has to do with putting a new patch of cloth on an old garment. Uh, We all know that you can't do that because the new patch will then shrink and then will make the tear even worse than there originally was. You can't put a new patch on an old garment. It's going to pull away because it shrinks. Another example is the wine in the wineskins. You can't put new wine into old wineskins because the old have already expanded and they can't hold the new wine. They will burst. It can't contain the new wine just as the old garment can't contain the new patch. Well, the coming of Christ and the ushering of, uh, ushering in the kingdom is the new wine and a new new patch. It is indeed the new covenant that has been ratified in his blood. Things are different. That's what he's saying. You can't take the old system and try to fit it into the new. It is the better covenant, the new covenant. It's the better sacrifice. It's, It's the better high priest. It's the better mediator. It's a different order. It's from the order of Melchizedek. Its its origins cannot be traced. It's new. It's new. And so with this new wine and this new patch comes, as Piper would say, new fasting. There's new fasting. Some of you may be asking, what is so new about this fasting as compared to the old way of fasting? Well, it all comes down to the foundation or the basis from which we are fasting. And what I mean is this. The old way of fasting was a looking forward. It was a looking forward, a longing for the promised one, a longing for the Messiah to come and redeem his people. The new way of fasting is a looking back. It's a looking back at the promised one who has come and has done marvelous things, And marvelous works of redemption. You see, fasting is done in full faith and rest in the finished work of Christ. That's where we rest. That's where we rest in our fasting. It's it's our basis, it's our foundation, it's the reality of the gospel. We don't fast as ones without hope, saints. We don't fast as ones who are mourning over our sin, covering ourselves in sackcloth and ashes, awaiting a Savior. No, we fast because our sins are forgiven and we want the glory of the risen King to shine in all areas of our lives. And in the lives of our loved ones as well. Piper again. As an act of faith, Christian fasting is an expression of dissatisfied contentment in the all-sufficiency of Christ. It is an expression of secure and happy longing for the all-satisfying fullness of Christ. He says, Christian fasting does not tremble in the hope of earning anything from Christ. It looks away from itself to the final payment of Calvary for every blessing it will ever receive. He says, Christian fasting is not self-wrought discipline that tries to deserve more from God. It is a hunger for God awakened by the taste of God freely given in the gospel. Amen. Fasting, saints, is always accompanied with prayer. We pray while we fast and we feast on the word of God. Again, fasting is not an end of itself. It is a means to an end, and the end being, of course, communion with God. This is the reward of the Father who sees in secret, that we are fasting. We fast because God sees, and God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him, that seek after him out of a pure heart. You know, he's committed to helping the needy and the poor, isn't he? And the helpless, and those who understand their helplessness, for those who see nothing in themselves, but all their help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. We don't fast to earn his favor. We fast because we have favor with the Father through Christ. We fast because we need him and because he is better than anything on this earth. That's why we fast. Even the good gifts he has given us, we want to desire him. We fast in order to starve the sin in our lives while we feast on the bread of life who has come to take away the sins of the world. When we fast for the salvation of our children, we are crying out during our fast, Come, Lord Jesus, with resurrection, power, and save. We long for our children's children to be residents in heaven. We long for them to find the treasure in the field. We, we long for them to know the pearl of great price. That's why we fast, for God's great name to be made known in the world. When we fast for a decision that needs to be made, we are asking the Lord for his will to be done. His kingdom purposes to be accomplished in our lives so that the gospel may go forth, so that we may be the salt and light of the earth, wherever we may be. When we fast for the sick ones in our lives, we may fast because we see the frailty in this life. And it burdens us. And we know that it is only... the the true healer, the great physician that, that can heal the sick. And so we go to him and we plead with him and we ask him, spare their life, heal their sickness. But we do this all in faith, knowing that whether he heals or not, that he does all things right and good according to his goodwill and pleasure. We fast because we are weak and helpless and he is our help in the time of need and Saints, when, when you are fasting, when you are making a statement of what is important to you at that time, it is intentional and the Lord sees it. He sees it. We fast because we ourselves are sick and tired of this world. We fast because of all of its pulls and temptations. We fast because we want to separate ourselves from earthly things that we depend on, good or bad. We fast because we have such a deep longing to be alone with God and therefore any food or whatever it is that we are fasting from, we consider it to be insignificant, unimportant in comparison to having Christ and being fed by him. Fasting is a laying aside of all or any obstacles that we may pursue Christ and find true satisfaction in him and him alone. We fast because we long for the King to come and for us to live where righteousness dwells. We fast because we want to feast on Him who has already given us a taste, and now we see that He is good, so we want more. So, in closing, what does this look like practically? I want to quickly share some things practically, and there's so much more that can be said on this topic. I said I was only going to do a one study, and but <clears throat> anyway. The Bible practically doesn't, the Bible doesn't give us any form of, of frequency or, nor a, a duration. You know, how often, how long to do it. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, we read. He was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness to fast for 40 days. So, what can we deduce from that? That as we walk with the Lord and in the Spirit... There will be seasons and circumstances in which the Holy Spirit will direct you to fasting. That's what that means. There will be an aching in your heart to be alone with God. You're saying, I I just need to be alone with God. And the Holy Spirit will drive you to fasting. A time where you want nothing that this world can give, so you cry, give me Jesus. And this is a way to do that. As Don Green wrote in the blog, From Grace to You, he says, don't look for external fasting to do for you what God has appointed the scriptures to do. He says, fasting is not designed to put righteous desires into you. It's meant to be a means to express urgent desires that already exist. Fasting is an effect of a spiritual urgency, not the cause of it. Very good. Now, we also know that there are other different types of fasts. Jesus went without food, right? But he probably still had water. So there's a fast without food but with water, drink. Then there's Moses and and Elijah who went fasting. Moses who did the the 40 days without food or water. That was supernatural. You don't do that. That's not not for you. you. You can't continue on I think it's, what, three days or something like that, without food and water. So your fasting needs to be done with great wisdom and considering your your health as well. And still, yet, there were those who fasted by restricting certain foods, right? We have Daniel or certain pleasures, as in 1 Corinthians 7. But whatever you decide, it needs to be honoring to the Lord. And you need to take into consideration where you're at. If your health reasons, if for health reasons you can't fast from food, fast from something else. Don't just not fast, fast from something else. But whatever you are fasting from, use that time to be alone with God. For example, if you're fasting from food, then the time you would normally spend eating, spend in prayer and reading the word. Also remember that fasting is acceptable worship before God when it is done out of a pure heart. So don't view it as just checking the box. Don't fast with the end in sight so that you can do what you are fasting from. So for example, and I'll end here shortly, let's say you're fasting from your phone. I'm bringing something else other than food here. So you're fasting from your phone because you're constantly checking on social media, your your text, your media accounts, whatever. Um, You're not supposed to think, well, I wonder what so-and-so posted, or I can't wait to end my fast so I can check all my posts or all all the replies I receive back or what I need. No, that's that's not fasting. When the thoughts come, you quickly redirect. That has to do with food, when you're aching in your stomach, right? When you're you're aching to look at your phone, whatever it is, you, you quickly redirect those thoughts and you ask the Lord for great help in that time. And you redirect your thoughts to him. Let him be your food. Let him be your nearness. Pray that the pleasures of this life don't choke out the word that gives life. You know, fasting is what hungry people do. And they do fasting because it shows us what we are made of. And what we really need and what we should desire in this life and for eternity. All right, well, more can be said, for example... Um, that there are other fasts, right? There's there's private fasts, there's uh, corporate fasts, there's um, you know maybe two or three fasts, there's family fasts, so there's other different kinds of fasts. But for now, I, I just want to end here and just quote something from Piper that I found very. You got to pay attention though, because he 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 chooses his words very succinctly and, and well. So here we go. Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of homesickness for God. Half of Christian fasting is that our physical appetite is lost because our homesickness for God is so intense. The other half is that our homesickness for God is threatened because our physical appetites are so intense. In the first half, appetite is lost. In the second half, appetite is resisted. But appetite is there, isn't there? So, Let's have a hunger for God while we fast, saints. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do know that there was much shared, Lord, and you're the one that can impart all these things in our hearts and minds. So guard us, guide us, and help us to be pleasing before your sight, Lord, to to want more of Christ until that wonderful and beautiful day that we are waiting for to see him face to face. Blessed be Your name, amen.